Hey everyone, welcome back to the Food Intelligence Podcast. My name is Miriam and I'm your host. I hope you all have been having a wonderful summer. Today we have an extra special episode for you, brought to you in part by our friends over at IFMA, the International Food Service Manufacturers Association. IFMA is the trade association serving food service manufacturers for over 70 years, and we're really proud to be an allied member. They are working to improve industry practices and relationships while equipping every food service manufacturer with the tools to navigate their future with confidence. And here at TasteWise, we're all about that. We love equipping everyone in the food industry, whether it's innovators and marketers at CPGs, the same in the food service world, manufacturers, distributors, and beyond, with the right tools to navigate the future. And today's topic is all about the tool that's on everyone's mind, AI. So on the pod today, we're sharing a recent session we hosted with IFMA all about the phone to table phenomenon. That's a phrase you'll hear us using throughout the session. Essentially what AI means for the accelerating consumer landscape. Think of this as a primer for AI and food service and food and beverage broadly. If we say that a little bit differently, what on earth can AI do for you and why should you care? I think we can all agree that with nearly unlimited ways for consumers to engage with food and beverage trends, the big question is how can we leverage AI to understand our consumer at the moment of consumption, especially in an era where data-driven decisions are foundational, right? We need to have that bottom line understanding of the impact AI is going to have on our industry. In our episode today, my colleagues Ian and Ilana cover ways to move beyond traditional menu insights by harnessing the power of AI, offering a comprehensive view of today's food service landscape and what to do next. We hope that you'll walk away with a few ideas on how to craft tailored strategies, expand your business relationships, keep your consumers at the center, and stay ahead in a competitive market. If you have any questions, you know where to find us, live at tastewise.io. And without further ado, enjoy the episode. Hey, everyone. Welcome again to another version, another another chapter in the IFMA webinar series. Today's title of our webinar is Phone to Table, the Accelerating Consumer Landscape. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Charlie McConnell. I'm the Senior Director of Insights and Best Practices with IFMA. I'm your host and moderator today. Today's webinar is brought to our very good friends over at TasteWise. Thank you, TasteWise, for bringing your knowledge and expertise to bear for our membership. Let's jump ahead and actually meet our panelists today. First, she's the Director of Product Marketing at TasteWise. Please welcome Ilana Ryder-Schnitzer. And he is a Senior Account Executive, also very enthusiastic about innovation. He is Ian O'Neill. Ilana and Ian, welcome, and thanks so much for taking time to share with our membership today. Awesome, thank you so much, Charlie. Uh, first time caller, long time listener. Um, <laughs> it's, it's great to be here. And uh, we're excited to share some information with the IFMA community, who, uh, who are great partners. So, you know, what we wanted to talk about today is the idea of phone to table and, you know, but maybe before we jump totally into that, we can, we can introduce ourselves, Alana, maybe a little bit more background about yourself and, and I can give some background about myself, but we'd love to just talk about the general phenomenon that is the accelerating consumer landscape, trends moving faster and faster and how we can use AI to help understand those trends. So hi everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today. So my name is Ilana Ryder-Schnitzer. Um, and I worked as the Director of Product Marketing TasteWise, which actually means in a nutshell that I work together with all the insights that we have coming from our different customers, from everything going on on a global level. And I work together with our product division to make sure that everything we deliver and create gives real value to our customers and real actionable value to our customers, meaning when they use something, they know exactly what they need to do next. And my background actually comes from CPG Worlds. I've, I worked for Nestle in the past, for Barilla, for Alpro, many different good 
food and beverage brands. So that's where my passion comes from. Um, and also my understanding of the intense work uh, that CPG Worlds are, uh, which I truly value. And yeah, and we'll, we'll mention a few things of those today. Absolutely. Thanks, Alana. Um, I'm Ian O'Neill. Uh, I'm a senior account executive at TasteWise. So I work with a lot of folks in partnering and helping them understand how to use and leverage data in their process, whether that's innovation for their menu or whether it's bringing menu innovation to a partner, right? And, and building that quantifiable sales story. My background is in the last 10 years I've spent uh, in the food and beverage data world and um, using that data again to leverage insights and innovation towards innovation and creating a sales story. So we mentioned a little bit earlier, but the idea of phone to table, um, you know, I think everyone's heard of the farm to table movement. Um, it's always better when you explain the jokes. <laughs> I don't think that's what they tell you, but the idea of phone to table is that the consumers is the consumer needs and motivations are changing faster and faster. And being able to navigate that changing landscape is really important. And because there's so many changes, we really need to use AI. So we're going to talk about the three tips to navigate through this new era of AI. And then also, you know, Charlie will have some additional information at the very end about what's going on with HIFMA. So that's kind of what's on tap for today. So um, when we start this off, we, we think about, you know, how do people interact with trends today? How have they interacted with them in the past? And I will say the viral TikTok recipe of feta pasta has been, <laughs> I think, one of the, the easiest ways to see that trends can start everywhere. You know, trends have effectively been democratized. And, you know, this is one of those recipes that came out during the pandemic. I saw it online. I saw it uh, on Instagram. I think it was popular on TikTok before that. And then I went to the grocery store and I was looking for feta cheese for something totally unrelated and it was gone, right? And the idea that this trend that had popped up on the internet and then within three months had affected me in real life was kind of jarring to see how that moves so quickly. Another example is this corn kid this is like the cutest kid in the world and he's done several interviews and there's many YouTube videos and posts and he just loves corn. And because of that, it's kind of popped up again, a similar situation where all of a sudden there's a shortage in corn. People are talking about corn a lot more, basically because this kid online has uh, brought attention to it with his hilarious uh, <laughs> corn facts and love of corn. And as we think of this evolution of how people are interacting with food and beverage trends and how this has become a multifaceted world of food, you know, food has kind of evolved beyond just something that you go to a restaurant and you eat. It's become entertainment as well. And so, you know, there's entire channels like Hot Ones. I'm sure you guys have seen it if you're uh, attending this webinar and you're in the world of food and beverage. But the idea of Hot Ones is an interview show, like a late night show almost, but it's entirely centered around hot wings, right? The guest eats the hot wings, they get spicier and spicier. And I think, you know, spicy has become almost a, a trend into itself. And so now that we've got Hot Ones, um, we also have you know, TikTok stars, micro-influencers. We even have professional chefs like Andrew Zimmern over here who, you know, started posting and, and sharing his recipes online. And so when we're thinking about innovation and where we can capture um, what's happening really early on, you know, we have to think of all these different platforms and all these different ways that people interact with trends. And, and also, I think TikTok is, is one of those things that's evolving and gaining a lot of traction. It's adopted broadly, especially by Gen Z. And then you know, Jen, and a, excuse me, a celebrity chef like Andrew Zimmerman, you know, he's putting information out there because everyone has a platform and he's a celebrity chef, but there's plenty of people on TikTok that aren't celebrities that have started to get people interested in whether it's Korean food or another food trend. You know, that's kind of where, you know, trends can start anywhere. They, they don't just start on independent restaurant menus anymore. They start all over the board. They start 
in people's home kitchens and they post those things. And then maybe your local favorite restaurant, you know, that chef is probably has an Instagram account as well. And he might use that as inspiration for what they're cooking that day. Yeah, I think, you know, after that is just everyone is also an expert today. You know, I mean, once upon a time we had chefs and we had people sitting behind these recipes, right? And creating them and issuing these cookbooks, which were really famous and people would use. And today, I don't know how often people actually open a cookbook anymore because even the cookbooks are available online, right? And everyone created another version. So they're there because it's nice to have. But it's it's really a different shift of mind that happened quite quickly. And um, anyone here who's been in the food market for more than 10 years can really wrap their heads around how quickly this really did trans transform. Um, and everyone's an expert and everyone, right, is now, you know, creates followers and can become someone really uh, influential. And I think the idea is there is so much going on um, that the ability to be able to really capture everything or to look at everything is quite mind blowing. Um, and if you think even technology, food used to be, right, a plate used to be something that you used to do like you know, horizontal, you have a plate, you eat it. Food has to be vertical because you need to take a photo of it for it to exist. So you really need to think vertically also of how you're creating that food. And even that is a shift in how food now is created, consumed, and content is done. So it's really a whole world around this that, you know, touches every single aspect of what you do. And I think you touched on something very important, right, is, is how do we stand out? If you're creating, if you're in charge of, if you're on this webinar and you're in charge of creating a menu or you're trying to sell in product to a menu, you have to take these things into consideration because at the end of the day, you want these products to sell. And if you want them to sell, you know, they need to stand out from the crowd. And, and just speaking of things that are moving quickly, technology, if you were at the IFMA sales and marketing conference, you probably heard me speak with our friend at Jividon and Nestle Professional. Um, and we talked about how AI is growing fast. And we'll, we'll talk about kind of how this intersects later on, but wanted to just mention that, you know, the technology, so the consumer changes are changing rapidly. The technology is changing rapidly. We have national chains that are rolling out AI as well. They've even, you know, gone to the the Wendyverse, the metaverse, if you will, and you know, basically, this technology has evolved faster and faster, and it's allowing people to interact with brands in different ways. So whether it's an AI chatbot or whether it's in the metaverse, people are interacting in different ways. This concept in, I think it's your home country of Australia, right, Alana? It is indeed. <laughs> um, I don't. I, I'm sure you haven't been uh, here yet, but maybe it's it's on the uh, <laughs> it's on the itinerary next time you're back. But they created an yes, entire concept. Based on less, it. Less, I'll, I'll respect the I'll respect it <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of feel free to chime in here because I think you touched on this earlier but the idea of sh the shift from a monoculture of trends to this fractured multifaceted trend ecosystem if you will um, is kind of illustrated here right in the 2000s you had you know maybe sex in the city that made cupcakes popular or the South Beach diet. You know, you had, like you mentioned, there's a few magazines, a few influencers, and maybe something was on Good Morning America, and then it became popular. And then in 2012, you know, we had kind of this Instagram influencer takeoff. And because of this, you know, you had this clean curated image of content that was posted, but then, you know, a few things happened, right? Instagram was then made more, more friendly. So it was not just available for iPhone, but it was available for Android. And then we had the surge in the ability to order anything to your house. So people were being exposed to more and, and new different cuisine types. And then to add fuel to this fire, the pandemic happened. And I think as an industry, we've all you know recognized, hey, the way that people are interacting with brands now is completely different. Uh, of course, the internet certainly has caused that, but I think um, the pandemic certainly made that happen a lot faster. But we've always thought of as you know, independent restaurants are leading the way as far as uh, trends go. And that's the, the way that we should look at uh, that data. 
But I think what's happening now is that that's become a more multifaceted environment and ecosystem, if you will. And now everyone has a phone in their pocket. They can upload information. And not only do we have influencers, but now we have micro-influencers. We have celebrity chefs. And not only that, you have Pinterest where you can save recipes and interact with recipes. And instead of maybe where you're trying to find a new food or item, it might not be looking through a restaurant's menu or a restaurant online, but you'll find a, an Instagram influencer and follow them and say, oh, look, they're creating something interesting or they visited a restaurant where something interesting happened. So all this to say it's becoming more and more complicated uh, in the digital age. Yeah, it's it's 100 percent. And I think we see that, you know, as individuals, right from our personal experience, we're having been professionals in what we do, how everything just became sort of complicated and diverse. And then like in, in the matter of making everything simplified, it made very complicated for us um, in the industry. But at the same time, if you really think about it, it's just this insane rise also of opportunities. Right. So the idea is that you have on the one hand this like, you know, from this concentrated world where you put up one thing and everyone was exposed to it and you had this, you know, huge campaign and everyone was discussing it. And suddenly there are all these multi-channels. It actually also that gives you a lot of opportunity, um, a lot of opportunity to innovate, to bring in new things, to be more creative. Um, and I think that it's a matter of, um, you know, sort of like uh, the first initial I remember um, when I was in marketing also was this fear of like, wait a minute, what's going on? And anyone's posting something and how do I deal with it? And now it's mastering that fear. So it's really understanding of how can I take all of this and create something really amazing out of it? Because when you do and when you crack that, you are amazing and you get a thousand opportunities to do it, which is even be better because, you know, it's always ongoing. So I think it's like very scary on the one hand, but on the same, you know, on the other hand, once you sort of master the art of it, which is what I think AI it really comes in and will discuss, tries to do, you really get those tools to be on board and to just make all your skills that much better. Yeah, I think you're you're 100% right. And I think this speaks to what we we're talking about faster, but excuse me, as the world's moving faster and there's many different channels in which people are interacting with food. And to your point, I think so you can you can view this as chaos or you can frame it as, hey, look, there's so much information out there. There's a lot of opportunity for me to understand my customer better, make products that resonate better with the end user. So it is kind of maybe a shift in the mindset of like, okay, this is chaotic, but this is an opportunity and what tools will allow me to make sense of this chaos. And, you know, again, speaking to how, how simple, <laughs> simple uh, things were in 2013 in the world of food and beverage, but these are our health trends. If you want to think of them this way, you know, probably at its most complicated in 2013, right? There's the idea of health and maybe low calorie. And this is what it looks like in 2023. The long tails of the internet allow people to basically have interest and in, in meet and find uh, recipes, people that share similar diets, that share similar diet restrictions, or even just different motivations or ways, lifestyles of eating. So as this work is more complicated, uh, I shared this slide actually at the Sales and Marketing Digital Conference as well, but 90% of the world's data was generated over the last two years. And like Alana mentioned, I think it's both scary, but it's also an opportunity. So, you know, 10 years ago, maybe we were living in a data desert where now we're trying to drink out of this data fire hose. And, you know, we really want to, how do we make sense of that data? Because this is a, a great resource and wealth of information, the internet, but also we want to make sure that it, it makes sense and we can utilize it in a way that helps us uh, grow our business. Yeah, I think just to even to say to that, there's always this sense that you have to always invent yourself, right? And think of something new and you, you spend so much time really trying to invent and come up when the solution today is actually already there. It's a matter of picking up on where it's around and just 
getting that out of the data. And I, I remember my, myself, right, sitting in these meetings and we're trying to put together what will be the best next thing, right, and running surveys and running, right, different research and trying to, to you know, come up with this best, best ideal solution. And then on the one hand, putting something out there and you can just, you know, bum out. So no one ends up getting it in the end and you'll just, you know, end up asking why. And here you have this opportunity of, of you know, going the other way around or tapping into what's happening. What are people doing? You know, what is going on in all this data? And from that, creating that opportunity, which is, again, it's a shift of thinking, but it's a shift you can really do and that will just create like I said everything so much easier and so much more you know handed over to you um, once you use those tools in the right way and you know speaking of tools and what people are utilizing in their everyday day-to-day -day, I think this is maybe an oversimplification but the idea of organizations maybe post uh, pandemic right out of these changes there kind of arises maybe four different archetypes of companies and there's Company number one, where you don't have any data, a lot of these are small startups that are moving fast and, hey, we have a great product, we're bringing it to market. And then there's, you know, group number two, where you might have some of the data, again, hey, we've got part of it, but we don't really have all of it. We rely on maybe retail data or we rely on data from certain partners, but we don't have everything. And then there's also the idea of, hey, we've got data, but we don't really know how to use it. We, we have great partners, but we're not sure how to put this into action. And then uh, I think a lot of folks probably on the call have, can relate to maybe number four, which is having the data, but you know, it isn't available to everybody. It hasn't been democratized uh, across the organization. I know, you know, I think that's a big push for a lot of folks is, hey, we've got all this great data. How do we get it into the hands of all of our partners internally so that they can help us become better partners externally? So you know, how do we kind of navigate this? How do we pick our partners? How do we make sure that the data that we have is being used? So how do we navigate this world in this uh, world of having all this data and what do we do with it? You know, how can we navigate the, the phone to table era? So some ways that, that we can use AI, and I think this is just maybe a, a select, you know, seven ways that we could do this, especially in the food and beverage world. And again, there's probably other ways as well, but we can use AI to understand new concepts, what trends are out there, identifying them early and then bringing them into our sales story so that we can either innovate ourselves or bring new ideas to our partners. And then of course, not just building something new, but crafting the relevant positioning. So identifying what are the motivations for that trend? What, is, what, what consumer specifically does that trend resonate with? And then being able to make that positioning even better to elevate ourselves to thought partners. And then that allows us to develop sales strategies and to advise customers. Again, elevating our partnership, not just to maybe an order taker, but maybe becoming a two-way street and, and that trusted advisor that I think everyone wants to be. It also allows us to identify opportunities and to create content. So you identify, hey, this is an opportunity for us. We see this trend. We see we have X amount of X amount of partners in this state that, that want to buy this new trend that we're seeing emerge. Okay, well, how do we do this? We need to create content for it. And I think AI can also now generate content for us. So if we think about you know, the, the sales process, maybe you're selling biscuits into Texas and you need to identify all the opportunities in Texas, AI can do that. And then also, hey, how do we craft a story around that? How do we create content for it? AI can also do that. It can help us generate that content. And then of course it needs some coaching. So that's where the human element comes in, right? Where we use our expertise about our organization to then take what AI gives us and make sure it's a fit for our partners and for ourselves. And then, you know, finally, obviously that hopefully ends up on a menu when we come up with something that works for both our partners and for ourselves. So maybe uh, th these are just some examples, I think, of ways that the food industry can utilize AI now, you know, outside of, you know, we talked about the AI chatbots and operators and looking at different data and analyzing it that way. Alana, do you have any thoughts here? 
Yeah, I think it's 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 really amazing, and I think that the examples here are really endless. And one of the points is that you know when you guys look at this, you can connect to at least one of these that comes about into your work and say, wow, this is you know a good point I can take. We see this with our customers a lot, and I can also say it's constantly growing. So it's really endless use cases. And we just recently came up also with another use case where, for example, you can create something which is a larger maybe trend. So maybe follow up on something, for example, like affordability, which this year, for example, has been a, a very uh, a hot topic coming into. 23, a little less, but uh, by the way, I have to say impactful than maybe predicted. But again, it's something that you can um, sort of monitor and find out and see what's going on because how will you really, you know, sort of get that? So I'm um, definitely looking at all these. It can be one, it can be two, it can be 20 really like find that place where you find where AI is and it really is endless, endless ways to use. So, you know, trends have been democratized, excuse me. So, you know, how can AI help us investigate this work at speed and scale? And I think if, you know, the folks on the phone are at organizations where they're planning for 2024, 2025, you know, speed matters, identifying things early matters. What's great about our industry is that innovation doesn't typically take place in a lab in some far away, you know, place, right? Like, uh, you know, like TVs or phones. It happens really, you know, with every person that has a cell phone, that has a kitchen, that innovates whether they're in their own kitchen or whether they're going to leave it up to the professionals, you know, at their local favorite restaurant. So, you know, what happens is that innovation occurs and then people are trying to adopt that quickly. And of course, if you're planning for 2024, 2025, you need to understand those trends now and then be able to spread that information out across your organization to build consensus and buy-in. So the, the data is moving fast because consumers are are moving fast themselves in the digital age, right? You know, what's the uh, use your fingers uh, as opposed to your feet uh, when you call ahead and find out. I'm definitely known to do this. It's to drive somewhere and find out it's closed when you could just use your fingertips. And I think, you know, consumers can make those same decisions about things that they like or don't like with their thumbs in a second. Yeah. 100%. I think also it's um, it's something that we're really seeing how this shift and this change, right, like you said, is something that is is constant ongoing and is here to stay. And so it's something that we really sort of, you need to make a, an active decision as a company, right, that you are going to stay on board, right, that you're going to be as fast, that you're going to keep moving in it. And it's a decision to make, by the way, as a company, and not every company is there yet, and not everyone's moving there. But I think that it's pretty clear rolling out now that, right, the world that we live in today is probably going to get faster and quicker. Um, and AI is going to keep developing, and it's it's connecting to that um, to that wave and seeing where does that meet you. And I think you were talking about, you know, there's a little bit of element of, of fear there, right? Where it's like, you know, things are only moving faster. Like, it's like, <laughs> how can it continue to move faster? It's already been moving so fast. But, you know, I think traditionally, if we're looking at, you know, making decisions, you know, if you're relying on reports that are out of date or things that are, you know, if you're planning for 2024, 2025 with information that's from 2021, 2022, right? It's going to be hard to to hit the mark and make sure to come out with something that resonates with the the consumer or the intended consumer, if you will. Hey guys, you don't mind if I jump in here? I got a question that I wanted to, that's come in from our very astute audience. Uh, so audience, thanks for putting those questions in. Keep it coming. Um, we wanna make sure we keep um, Alana and Ian on their toes here, but um, as a food service manufacturer, how do I separate a trend from a fad? Because if I'm reacting to every fad, my innovation funnel will always be full and I will be have a lot of mistakes at the end of that funnel. Yeah, no, I think that's a great question from the audience. And thanks for relaying that to us, Charlie. I think, 
you know, one of the ways that, that TasteWise would answer that question, the way that we look at that was, you know, we're capturing data from multiple sources. We're capturing social, we're capturing menu, we're capturing recipe data. And what happens is social data can be very volatile. So you might see something rise quickly and fall quickly and it goes out of fashion. And, you know, sometimes, you know, there's things that happen on Instagram and, you know, it, it becomes popular one month and it becomes unpopular the next. But really what we can see is when it's, the momentum is shaping up across all three platforms, that is a really great identifier that, hey, there's momentum here and that this trend's gonna continue to grow because we're seeing uh, people adopt it in their home kitchens. And if they're familiar with the foods and they know where to get them, hey, maybe that means that restaurants are gonna adopt it and they're gonna be able to put that on the menu because, you know, like I said earlier, chefs are online too. Those people that are in innovation positions are getting their inspiration online, just like the rest of us. And so I would say, you know, looking at three different sources and not just having one piece of the puzzle, but having all three is super important for identifying trends early on. And Alana, would you add anything there? No, I, it's it's 100%. I think that the more you go and widen your your look into the data sources, then you're getting a wider vision. Just like you said, I think it's also looking at the the quantities that we see of information coming in. So when we look at the data, we're not looking at like a thousand posts or three thousand or ten thousand. We're looking at millions and millions of data points that are coming in from every every which direction. So if we're looking at so much data, and that's right, the advantage of AI that you're not just counting on a small panel or a focus group or even a specific kind for that matter you can really see a wider view and that really enables you to find where those um, areas of trends are coming from and it's it's a massive amount of data that really helps pinpoint these directions when you can see a full visibility of everything there and one thing before i know and i know we need to to, to keep moving because i don't want to go over time and want to leave uh, room for q a but i will say too you know depending on the trend it can also depend on the source of information right um, we mentioned it earlier but the idea of functional health and nutrition those types of trends typically will start at home. They might start online where people are talking or finding you know, people with similar dietary restrictions. And those will pop up probably before they pop up at a, at a restaurant menu. So being able to identify, hey, this is a cuisine type trend that maybe is gonna start at a restaurant versus, hey, this is a functional health trend that's gonna start online. Yeah. So we discussed this a little bit before, you know, when we mentioned about how AI and how it fits. So um, most of us probably weren't around in the beginning of this timeline, but somewhere around the fifth and sixth wave, I would say, we sort of all meet the industry. And so if we're looking really at this, this huge leap, and again, for those of you who have been working a little longer than 10 to 15 years, still remember the time where there was the TV as a media, or there was the movie cinemas, or you had the radio, or you had billboards, and you had really centralized areas of, you know, where you met, or if you were working together with a restaurant right then you'd have a meeting and you'd come up with that innovation that your chef brought in or someone that has done the investigation and whereas today when we're looking at the jump really that AI brought into the workplace it really creates a really big shift and we can see it growing also faster than ever so even the adoption of it as a technology is becoming faster and faster giving yet another indication that this is really like a fast moving train that we need to jump on and be a part of. Um, as of today, by the way, the numbers are that there are about 30% of today's workforce integrates AI into their work in some way or matter, which is mind blowing if you think, right, how long it's been since AI even became a thing, but it really is that. Um, so it's really something to keep in mind, you know, when you're thinking of yourselves and how does this meet you in your workplace and what are you doing today? And if we look at the next place, and really this is the area of thinking, what is AI and where does it come from? So um, there's a great saying that we always go with where um, artificial intelligence without great data is just artificial. And this is something to really sort of keep in mind. So 
not all AI is created equal. And by that, that we say that if you think, how does AI work? And we didn't, you know, deep dive into that because that's a whole other session, which we can go on and on about. But at the end of the day, right, it learns from what everyone is doing and all the data that it picks up. So if you have an AI connected to a certain pool of data or another one, you'll come up with different results. And then you'll ask yourself, well, wait a minute, how can I trust AI? How can I build a relationship that what I am getting is true? Which brings us to our second tip, and that would be to you guys saying that one of the things you need to really look at is finding the best place for AI to drive growth in your business. And I think that when we did the session today, one of the things which is really important to us is to sort of know that you are coming out of this with at least one thing that you can say to yourself, wow, I can really go about and do this tomorrow, next week, next month, next year. But some point where it's not just like a high level session where it's like, oh, this is AI and this is what it does, but really where you can pinpoint this. And so I think that when, you know, you go back and what we, what I would like say, this would be a good session. If you look right now into yourself and say, where can it fit into your business today? So it's not like there's an expectancy that tomorrow morning, all organizations turn AI, but in different markets, as we said before, in different areas, there are different ways where it can meet you. So can this, what can this help you accomplish? What can you do with this? Can you create better innovation? Can you create better leadership? Can you do a better go-to-market plan um, with your sales team? Can you find more menu gaps? Can you increase prices, by the way? You know, we don't touch upon that, but it's always a crucial point because what's going on, right? Will people pay more for this tomorrow? So there's a lot of areas to meet AI, but the basic thing that we want to remember is that you need to keep your mind that you are using something which is very food and beverage related. So if I look at our lovely uh, demo here, which was one of my favorite slides, by the way, a bit disturbing yet challenging at the same time. So this just comes to show that when AI scans right images online, how do you think AI can tell apart, right? What is food and beverage and what is not? And if you're looking at this, you can easily understand why this would be something which is disturbing to use if you get the wrong data, right? And the most important thing to make sure is that you are using food and beverage related data. Um, and I can also tell you again from sort of like behind the scenes of what we do is that it's very different between media and media as well. So it's not necessarily the same between TikTok and, um, you know, Instagram, for example, on how you detect different images, uh, what conversations around food and beverage go on in each one of them. Some of them can be more home related. Some of them can be more out of home. Some of them can be right, um, more trendy. Um, so it really does determine your decision making where you get your data and data that you know you can trust and comes from good sources and you can connect to. So you, this really something. You probably um, want to so take a bite of one of these and not the other. This is true. This is true. Again, though, depending on, but, um, but yeah, definitely. So the blueberry muffin challenge, we can put that one up next. You don't want to create a mislead. And we've seen so many examples of these, um, coming from our line of work where something was mistaken and you can just only imagine what, so what we're looking for, and we sort of put this like as a profile is how do you hire the right AI for you? So when you are looking to see what you're going to integrate beyond things, for example, like privacy, which are obviously very, very high, right. In that keeping your business very private. And again, something to keep note for as well, um, that AI, you want to make sure that you're putting your questions and your data to something which is very secure and very private. I know this comes up as a concern around very many audiences. So just, you know, keep that in the back of your mind. Again, we're not going to discuss this today, but just as a thought, but you really want something which takes your expertise and works together with it. You want AI that can also be uh, adapted to the way that you do things. We know that you come with this vast amount of knowledge that no AI is going to take from you. You know, your business and you know, your customers and you know what you're doing. It should be, a platform that will help you get to your delivery. If you call 
it um how do we say like i say not potato potato which is the tomatoes the other tomatoes so yeah. i wanted to be tomatoes and that's what i wanted to relate to right i wanted to go together with my lingo if i'm calling it hash browns or if i'm calling it sausages or, or whatever word i'm using but the terminology also makes a big difference into the audience that you're relating to what you want so you want someone that will work together with what you're doing and not something that will force upon you different terminology right and different way of using so it really has to suit that expertise that you bring to the table to be rooted in reality is something that I really like because this is what we're basing on, right? A reality in which we generate the AI. And also something here where it says, right, is to really the ability to get the job done. And when I say that, and I said, well, like tap into a bit of my work here is it's, it's, it's the work of it should be to give you an actionable item. If you've gone in and used AI, you should finish whatever session you're doing with something actionable to do with it. It shouldn't be just high level or something that was just nice to see, oh, wow, this is really great to see this, which, you know, sometimes it happens when you look into trends, right, and what's going on. You want to have a real action item to take with you. You want to take it to the next meeting you have. You want to take it to the next menu item. You want to take it to the board. You want to take it to the, um, you know, to developing a new idea, but you want something which you can back up with, um, by the way, data that you know where it came from and you want it to take you to your next level and your next actionable item, which yeah. is really key. You definitely um, don't want it to just be a black box of, you know, uh, shake the magic eight ball and AI tells me to do X, Y, or Z. You want to be able to see where that, that data comes from. Yeah. Um, and I think also that's a problem with a lot of data, right? That we get very confused because you see all of this and you say, but what do I do with it? Right? What's the next step? So you really want to choose a tool that can help you direct you into the next step and, and sort of what you're going along with it. And then we'll sort of like put there as well of also like that idea of really seeing a 360 view, which we kind of mentioned before when we were talking about the difference between trends and between, um, right, things that are just, uh, you know, up and going and will be down in a minute because as companies, we all know that it's nice to have the fads, but the ability we have to really react to them and do something really quickly and put it out there is quite limited um, because of all you know everything that we come along with us we can do by the way sometimes things with it but at the end of the day we are looking for those big money makers dare I say and big innovations and ideas that can really make an impact and a difference and in order to do that it is really key um, to build your story in the right way. And when I say build your story in the right way is to make sure that you're looking into the specific right way that you're looking at. Are you looking at a certain prospect or client or are you looking at what is relevant to what you know they're looking for? Are you looking even for a certain state or an area that you want to look for? Are you trying to focus on maybe a restaurant which is more addressing younger audiences or older audiences? Is it more of a home cooking style or more of an elite restaurant? So you want to be able to really identify what story you're going into within the data that you have. Um, and when we look at the entire world of food and beverage and the way that we see what contributes to each other is between the menus, the home cooking, right, and the social media. Someone once said to me, which is true, we all have to eat. Um, some of us eat three times a day. Some of us eat 20 times a day. And so every few hours we get this urge to look at food and to create food, right, and to find new food ideas. So it'll always be feeding itself, but you'd really want to make sure that you're catching your audiences wherever they are. Because let's just say if someone is doing something, uh, and I think that we have a great example to show it next is if I look, for example, um, at the women's health trends, um, we'll see that in the next slide uh, coming up. So if we look just at that. And, and yeah. real quick, David, before we dive in there too, I think, you know, a real big takeaway is the idea of trends not all starting in the same spot. They happen all over the place and different trends happen in different areas. The idea of if you're only looking at home cooking, you know, that's going to be limited to the equipment that people have in their own personal kitchens. And if you're only looking at menus, there's things that occur outside of the 
course of, of what's going on in a menu that might cause a menu item to shrink over time, you know, during the pandemic or even outside of that related to supply chain or logistics. So if, you know, if you're trying to sell fish during, you know, a time when it's tough to, you know, get it into the hands of restaurants and restaurants are maybe taking fish menu, fish items off the menu, it doesn't mean people don't like fish. It just means that maybe there's some, some supply chain issues there. So when, if we're trying to innovate for that item, we need to be able to have all sources and say, okay, people still like fish. It's just that maybe there's some constraints related to logistics that are causing it to shrink on menus. So having all those pieces of data in your, um, you know, in your wheelhouse is, is important. Right. Yeah, no, 100%. And thank you for pointing that out because that really is a crucial point. And I think that with today's world, we see it happening more and more. So definitely um, something to, to pinpoint. We just sort of an example here. And we wanted to show when we looked at women's health trends, what shows up and to give an example of why looking at the different data sources is so important. So if we only looked at it right from this perspective, sorry, of menus, then we'd see a flat line and flat line meaning that, you know, this is okay not really changing nothing really to sort of dwell over but then if we moved into social and we see what's going on around women's health trends here then we see here something coming up something very interesting something different something that we do want to deep dive and to sort of say wait what's going on here as well uh, which will open us a whole other view as well and same and going on yeah sorry and i think if we're innovating right we're either going to create something that maybe resonates with women specifically related to nutrition and health uh, so maybe it's an item specific or maybe it's even broader than that hey do we open a, a new part of the menu that's specific to a specific consumer audience or does it help us target uh, you know our segmented audience right our, our we know our guests are moms on the move okay well maybe we should talk about women's health more um, in our messaging or position it around products that also speak to that so it's not just creating a specific menu item but also uh, from a strategic level understanding the consumer um, from that aspect Hundred percent. Um, yeah, I think so. The next one shows us the same example coming out of the trends. So you can see here, right? If we look here, it shows us again another place of where we can see different aspects coming up in terms of emerging. And this is just sort of like a view to see where it meets. Um, I think another point to what you said, Ian, is also keeping us as experts, right? We want to be the ones knowing what's going on in our category, in our worlds. Um, we don't want someone to tell it to us. We want to be the ones telling it there as well. I think we'll just skip the next example because we're sort of running a little short on time. So we'll uh, maybe go just to the last one or two slides that we have here. So um, this is really key. And Ian and I had such a great discussion uh, about this yesterday when we were sort of discussing today's session. And we're saying there really is this shift of power going on. And we see this, by the way, in the retail world as well, where there is, right, this um, idea where once upon a time, right, you were the one that were coming in, like with the lead and the innovation and sort of how the power shifts. And the idea really is to give that back and to find that place where you can really bring that innovation where um, you're not just the one taking orders for, you know, sort of like a pun there, put in on, on ordering, but you're the ones who's giving inspiration, right? You're giving the examples. You're the ones leading the way forward. Um, and I think that if I'm looking from the world of a manufacturer, for example, that is such a key thing because it's not enough just to come up with something. You really need to be able to give that proof to someone who, you know, you're selling to as to why this is the next best point. So we sort of put together this move, right, from like where it comes into 
to understanding what exists out there and how you can pick that up from the different data sources um, to write what you'd like to surface or what things you want to bring up to bring forward and at the end of the day what you're offering and I think this is really key because we really are experts and each and every one of you really is and it's just gaining that extra place where you can take that out there and bring it out like Ian what what were we saying right about that yesterday? Yeah, the idea is that everybody wants to get to true partnership. So it's a, the true partnership's a two-way street. You're not just, hey, we need specs for this type of product. But I think you know part of changing that balance, and then that look, everyone's super busy and they're doing a million things. But you know, oftentimes maybe we don't have the time to proactively put innovative ideas in front of our our national restaurant partners or you know any operator partner, and being able to proactively create surface the idea and find out what exists out there, surface it and then package it up. So saying, hey, look, I know your consumer just as well as you do. This is the data that backs up this item. And then that's gonna ultimately help us uh, kind of reframe that relationship to true partnership, not just, hey, I need a, uh, I need the specs for this. Can you do this? Yes or no. Um, and we can actually move to a more proactive role in supporting the innovation efforts, which I think everybody wants to be at. I mean, it's good for everyone. Yeah, 100%. So we'll have a shorter summary and then uh, hopefully we have a minute or two left for Q&A. So really when we, you know, sort of want you to have these key takeaways and things that, you know, you live here, as we said, is first of all, really the idea of letting AI do the heavy lifting. There's so much it can do in speed and scale that will just leave you with so much more time to do other things um, and to use it more wisely and just put that together. So that thought of where it can meet you in your specific world um, and how it can make you really work more effectively. So that partnership that really, like I said, can position you right with the right impact of where you want in your organization, right? AI is also a tool for you within what you do today to gain that place of what you have today and your job and where that meets you in a particular level. And then going beyond right the single story, as we said, so really getting that personalization, as Ian said before, connecting to those partnerships, uh, which we truly believe are the lead forward um, and getting that understanding. So it really gives you that 360 view. So all in all, if we have left you with anything, these should be those like key takeaways and things to think of where this can affect you in the upcoming week, month, year, whatever you're looking at at the moment. Yeah, and I think you know it, it has to match your your role, your company, your strategy. There's different ways for this to fit in. Um, I think results may vary is the idea, but you know finding out where you can do it and taking those uh, crawl, walk, run steps in embracing uh, this technology that we're using pretty much every day. If you have an Amazon or a Netflix account, you're using AI. So you know how can we help it uh, improve our our us at our roles and our jobs uh, and our brands. You're also a part of AI. Keep that in mind. Whenever you post something <laughs> online, we're picking it up. Someone's picking it up. Yeah. Um, and you're part of this big data tool. So keep that in mind as well. Hey, guys, that was awesome. Thank you so much for sharing all your thoughts and your insights um, with our membership and with some of our operator partners that have joined us today. And as always, our audience is very active in the Q&A area. So um, if you guys don't mind, can I shoot you a couple of those questions that have come across while you guys have been talking? Yeah, absolutely. All right. So this one, a uh, very simple question. I don't know if you guys know the answer to this one, but what AI apps are you currently using? Uh, internally, I, I talked with someone from product the other day. We're using AI to build our AI tools. Um, and, and so obviously that's more on a technical end of things. I don't know the names of those tools that we're using currently. TasteWise uses AI right now to understand social, menu, recipe data and make sense of all of that. Um, and not just what's trending or going up and down on menus, but what are the consumer motivations behind those? So that's one way that we're using it. Um, some of the ones out there that I know, things like Midjourney can help create photos. ChatGPT can obviously tighten up your writing. There's a lot of different things out there. I think Jasper is one of those paid um, 
help you kind of uh, copyright, if you will. So those are some of the maybe gen generic apps. The caution I would say about using anything like off the shelf or generic like a chat GPT or a Jasper is that, you know, you know, we live it, we, we work in the food and beverage industry. So it's not going to understand the terms and techno technology that we currently use. So, um, you know, uh, I guess just a, a word of caution as well when embracing some of those is, you know, if you're doing it to just improve your, your writing or to you know, put out content, uh, it's important that uh, if it's industry specific, that the data that it's trained on needs to be industry specific. 100%. I hope that 100%. answered the question. It sounded like it was a really good answer to me, so I'll give it um, nine and a half out of ten on answering that oh, question. I'm I'm putting that on my personal Yelp review, Charlie. <laughs> uh, another good question that came in. Um, I think traditionally in food service, we've used menu data as our primary source of finding out what's going on with trends, and of course, that's a great source. There's a lot. Every single word on a menu is a data point, right? Where else? I mean, should we be looking? I mean, you've mentioned all the social channels that are out there, but most of them are not related directly to food service. How do we sort of, you know, start looking other, uh, at other places that aren't, and without having collecting a bunch of garbage data that we don't need? Yeah, no, that's a really good question and something that we get often. And, and I can speak to, you know, how we do that. Um, I think there's, you know, again, results may vary, but the way that TasteWise does it is we look at social data, primarily from Instagram, some TikTok, but primarily Instagram, there is a lot of noise on Twitter. There is a lot of noise in Google search, um, but Instagram, you know, we can understand what people are posting. It's, I think, 70% of Gen Z and millennials are likely, if they have a good experience with food and beverage, they're going to be posting about it compared to 40% of the total population. So what we're going to be seeing is, you know, people in the moment of consumption. And not only that, but Instagram gives us very rich data. So it allows us to understand who's posting. Is it a mom? Is it a Gen Z? Is it a dad? So we can look at psychographics behind that and say, hey, um, within the pasta category, we see gnocchi growing, but also vegan gnocchi seems to be mentioned more popularly on social um, areas. And then also, we also have recipe data. And what I'll say about recipe data, people are very creative in their own homes and I think is a form of inspiration, especially for the operators out there. If you think about kids' menus, if you look at menu data for kids' menus, it's all like chicken nuggets and macaroni and cheese, right? And, and that's, you know, um, there's a reason for that. But so there's also things, you know, I looked at a recipe the other day um, that someone it had like a million likes and it was kid sushi. It was a tortilla, a banana and Nutella. They rolled it up and cut it to make it look like sushi. I thought that was super innovative and it probably, you know, most operators have that in their pantry right now. So the idea that, you know, those home cooks can provide inspiration as well is important. So that's what we look at. We look at primarily Instagram for social and then we're looking at Pinterest bloggers, influencers um, for that recipe data. I'll just add to what Ian said, I think is very important. Although when you're looking at menu data, there's a big difference between those small locations and between chains, right, and the bigger areas. And that ability to really highlight um, the small locations is something that we develop an expertise towards in TasteWise. So we can really take those really small areas where everything, the growth is coming from, right? Because we're not going to look, and again, no offense, right, to McDonald's, but we're not going to look towards them if we're looking to find, right, those innovations, those areas. Uh, it's also delivery platforms because a lot of the food today that's ordered, you order in. So how do you even know what's going on there, right? What is selling? That that is on the menu, does it mean that it's a best selling item? Does it mean that it's just there or no? ordered in a year so it's not enough just to see that flat menu and you know it's very hard obviously to get sales data coming just from menus but getting that understanding of what is best selling is something that we put a lot of focus on understanding as i said those small locations always finding those gaps um, so also within the menu data itself 
is something you should really look into what menu data you're looking at to sort of make sure that you're in the right direction of that innovation. Yeah, different innovation, different, different um, sources of, uh, of data. This question builds on the one I asked um, halfway through your presentation. How do you size various opportunities? Getting to some of the questions around niche, niche versus fad. So obviously, you know, it's easy to say there's something that's that's bursting up, you know, breaking up on TikTok right now. But how do we know how big something is? Can I, AI help us in that? Yes. Uh, it can. It is complicated, and that is what our people do. Um, so, in a nutshell, which might help explain or not, but it goes into looking into many different aspects. So, if you're looking at a certain category, for example, or a dish, you want to see what share it's getting, you want to see its growth, you want to see how it's comparing to other categories or other products within that category. Um, you want to be comparing, as I said, all the different data sources. So. What we do when we create our algorithms is put all of that together to calculate where this meets us and also to be able to look at things from a perspective of something which is emerging, something which is already, for example, trending, uh, which, by the way, is not necessarily a bad thing. It really depends on the strategy that you come to, um, what might be in declining a little bit, uh, but really it takes into account everything that we do. So we're not just looking at one category or one product or one look. It's always going to be an overview of everything that we do in the food and beverage to give that very accurate sort of answer what we're trying to give when people are looking for uh, for answers in the data. No, I think I think it's a question that you know we, anybody that's used uh, insights or data in, the, in this industry is like trying to identify fat or trend, fat or trend. What what makes it? And I think ultimately, you know, um, you want to be able to identify things early, and then you have you know this this very specific priority of trends that you want to use. Um, some of them, you know, it's it's impossible to predict what's going to go viral. But you're going to increase your batting average when you um, are able to maybe identify trends early and that resonate with a specific audience. And then from there, you know, it, I think some ways, you know, some brands have really accelerated trends because they jumped on them early. Um, you know, thinking of things like spicy, a lot of brands leaning into that very quickly. But there's plenty of other trends that maybe uh, larger chains haven't leaned into that probably could, you know, uh, continue to grow. Should I be looking internationally? to add to my data set that will drive my AI decisions? Yeah, I, I, I think it, it, it's, it depends and yes. <laughs> so, I mean, I think you can always take inspiration from other parts of the world and how they're doing things and what is resonating with their consumers. And especially, of course, if your brand footprint is outside of the United States, you should definitely look at those local preferences and things that are trending in there because, you know, and, and this is something that that you know, we work on at, at TasteWise with the idea that, that biscuits in the U.S. are different than in the U.K. And not only that kind of terminology, but just general taste and preference are different in each country. So being able to identify and have data from each of those individual countries is certainly important to compare and contrast. All right, we've got time for one more question. Um, I don't have the capacity to bring on an entirely new vendor right now. Are tools like ChatGBT a good stepping stone for me? I, again, I would say mileage may vary here, um, right? <laughs> if, if you're trying to incorporate AI and just, hey, I, I, write this email and, and no. make it more concise, right? That's probably <laughs> helpful. Again, be right. careful what you're sharing. So ChatGPT, the, the company that owns that is called OpenAI, right? And so that AI is open to the public. So you might want to be careful what you share within a ChatGPT. 
and I mentioned this earlier, but we do need to use industry-specific AI if we're asking industry-specific questions. And the example that we frequently use is sustainability. Now, ChatGPT is trained on the entirety of the internet, so it's going to be taking into account sustainable travel, sustainable leather, these types of things. Um, so if you're asking a question about sustainability, you're going to get all sustainability, not just the food and beverage world. Now, again, if you're just trying to tighten up an email, then I would say ChatGPT probably makes a lot of sense. You know, I, I, there's different ways, and you can look online a way to prompt engineer and get some interesting, or to use it as an assistant. Those are really great. But if we're trying to make you know bigger decisions, I would say um, we need industry-specific AI to answer those questions. I would just add also and mention what we mentioned with before with security because we get that with a lot of our um, CPG companies and so on that when you are typing in even an email that you're going to send out, someone's receiving on the other end. It is going into OpenAI and again, this is just something to keep in mind and someone does collect that data and they obviously know a lot more about you than you think they do. So I would say be very, very cautious and always look into the security measurements that this AI is taking to make sure that what you're looking and what trends you're looking at and where you're coming from is really kept to the highest levels of security. And we have, uh, you know, we, we, in Tasteways, we sign that that is like our highest priority is to keeping all of our, um, you know, all the data secret because we do value what it means. So I would also add to what Ian says is even if you do put an email, be cautious with what you're putting in. So A fun, um, a fun thing you could do with Chad GPT that I've done is, hey, plan me a vacation for this city for these dates and it'll do, do it for you. That's cool. Yeah, <laughs> If you're leaving, yeah, maybe we yeah, exactly. keep uh, Chat GBT for our own personal use as opposed to <laughs> making it a tool that we're using on a, as part of our businesses. Hey, before exactly. I give you got before I give our audience a couple updates on things that are coming out from IFMA, I wanted to thank Ian and Alana. Uh, you guys shared a great amount of information today. Um, you really gave us some insights and thoughts that we can think about. So, um, thanks so much to you guys, especially to, to TasteWise. You guys have stepped up as an amazing partner for IFMA, and we're looking forward to continuing that partnership as we go forward. For those of you listening in, if you've got somebody brand new joining your organization who has no idea what food service is, no idea what GPO is or what Cisco is or any of that stuff, sign them up for our upcoming food service fundamentals class on the 14th of November in downtown Chicago. Registration is open at IFMA World dot com under our events tab you can also take the course on demand at any time under our education tab at ifmaworld.com and um, our big premier event of the year is coming up in the beginning of november president's conference scottsdale arizona the fairmont princess it's going to be an amazing conference we've already started planning for it our committee that has been put together to organize this thing has already started putting together an amazing agenda. We already have a great keynote speaker. We have an amazing opening reception that we're putting together. So I can't wait for it, um, but you can't go there unless you register. So go to ifmaworld.com, go to our events page, and you'll register for President's Conference. Bring your friends. We'd be happy for all of you to be there. Lana, Ian, once again, thanks so much. Thanks to our audience for attending today. If you have any follow-ups, send me a note and uh, recording and slides will be out tomorrow. Until then, it's been fun, everybody. Take care. Hey. Thanks, Bye. Charlie. Thanks, everybody.